Brad Hill here. There is no better way to share a story than around a campfire. And if you are in the Mobile Bay area, there is no better place to get firewood than our friends at Mobile Bay Firewood. This is a family-owned business, and I personally love using their easy-to-light, kiln-dried firewood in my fire pit. So use promo code MBFTSO for $15 off of your next order at mobilebayfirewood.com. Longtime friends of the podcast, the Growley Leather Company is a family-owned leather goods company in southern Alabama. All of their leather goods are designed and handcrafted to come alongside you in your daily life, share in your adventures, and reflect your character. Brian and I both enjoy products from Growley Leather. So visit GrowleyLeather.com and use promo code TSO2022 for a 15% discount at checkout. Find you a leather journal and fill it with stories from the storied outdoors. This is the Storied Outdoors, a podcast somewhere between Lewis and Tolkien and Lewis and Clark, finding clarity in the stories we tell and the adventures that shape us. Welcome to the Storied Outdoors. My name is Brad Hill, and I'm joined as always by my good friend and co-host Brian Gill. Today, we are really honored to be joined by Tom Rosenbauer, who's the host of the Orvis Fly Fishing Podcast, author of some of the best, if not most, of the instructional manuals for Orvis, uh, two of which I have in my own library. Um, I love this self-proclaimed geek with his desk is covered with books and fly tying material. Um, He's invented some important things that I've taken um, very much advantage of is the uh, magnetic net retriever. Thankful for that thing. The tungsten bead fly, um, tungsten beads for fly tying. Um, He's generous to share what he knows uh, with so many literally. And I'm sure he he would cringe to hear this, but a legend in the fly fishing community. And uh, we're just thankful that you've taken time to just join us and chat with a couple of guys from Alabama uh, about the sport that we love, man. Well, it's it's my pleasure, guys. Uh, it's nice to be on the other side of the microphone, and I don't have to prepare, so enjoying <laughs> that. Just answer some questions, huh? Yeah, yeah. Tom, thank you so much. Uh, you know, we anybody who knows anything about fly fishing recognizes your name, and and um, you're you're widely known. But one of the things that I'm I'm thankful for is how much knowledge and wisdom you share with the fly fishing community. You know, if you're not a part of that community. It, it's a little bit daunting to get into and uh, yeah it sure is yeah you, you know it, you don't really unless you have somebody to kind of teach you it's hard to just kind of pick it up but uh thank you for your mm-hmm. all the things that you share um yeah so it, is there a um was there someone who taught you to fly fish is there a, a mentor that you had i mean you mentor so many now is there someone who mentored you in the early days no, there wasn't. Unfortunately, my my dad took me fishing, but my dad was a bait fisherman. Uh, liked to fish for bullheads and and white perch, and uh, and bat and largemouth bass when he could find them. He, he you know he wasn't that serious about it. Um, then he later picked up golf, and uh, I lost my fishing partner and. I uh, I decided that fly fishing looked interesting, you know. I, I mean, I had grown up as bait fisher and spin fisher, and uh, 
you know, when I was, I don't know, 10 or 11, I thought fly fishing looked interesting. I'd seen it in magazines and on the American sportsman on TV back then. Of course there were no videos and, uh, uh, no YouTube and <clears throat> no place to see that kind of stuff. And I got a couple books out of the library, which weren't terribly helpful. And I just hacked my way through it. You know, I bought a, went down to Western Auto, bought a $20 fly rod and, uh, and really struggled for many years uh, just casting and, and figuring this stuff out. And got a little bit out of books. I had a buddy in Boy Scouts uh, who also thought fly fishing looked kind of interesting, and he started out. We kind of taught each other, you know. Um, so I, I never lost sight of what it's like to be kind of uh, thrown into this fly fishing world with not much knowledge and having to figure it out yourself. and try to help people to shortcut that that learning curve because you know let's face it we do it for fun and it's a lot more fun when you're when you're more confident and more comfortable with with casting and knots and picking out flies and things like that yeah, yeah is there um i mean i kind of have the very similar story um my dad and i we fat, we bass fished growing up largemouth bass i grew up in uvala mm-hmm. alabama and mm-hmm. you know it's a very popular place to go bass fishing and uh yeah he, he would always say you know why would i want to catch a an eight inch fish when i could catch an eight pound bass <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and, and i and i started looking at these field and stream magazines and i'd see the i'd see the guy in waders with a, a net and a big trout on the end of his line i was like golly that looks really cool i, I kind of want to yeah, try yeah. that and, yeah so, you know, I didn't start fly fishing until later in life. I mean, I guess in the last seven or eight years, but it was always something that was alluring to me. And I, I can still remember my first fish and it was a chub on the Tuckasegee River. But I was, I thought, <laughs> man, I, I'm doing it. I'm in the river. I'm doing it. But um, is there a first fish that you remember? Is there a, a memorable first fly fish that you, that you have? Yeah, there was a, there was a, a pond behind my high school. Actually, I probably wasn't even in high school when I started. There was a pond um, that had mostly really small largemouths, little tiny skinny largemouths in it. You know, they were like six, eight inches long. And I would go down and it was very clear water. You know, I would go down to that pond and pretend they were trout because, you know, we all, <laughs> we all aspire to catching trout. I don't know why. I've never figured out why we're everyone's so fascinated with trout but we are yeah uh i mean i've been i've become fixated with lots of other things like tarpon and and carp and pike over the years but you know and and so i uh tied up i I started tying flies very early um before i even caught a fish on a fly and i tied up some grasshopper flies and threw it out there and watched these little large mouths come up to it and inhale it. And I thought, man, this is pretty cool stuff. Yeah. I just, I just made this lure, uh, <clears throat> out of some feathers and fur and hair. And, uh, <laughs> and I can watch this fish come up and inspect it and then eat it. And that's pretty neat stuff. Yes, yes it is. That is, that is so fulfilling to catch a fish <clears throat> on a fly that you've tied. I mean, I- yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, I, I still tie all my own flies. I mean, I could get I could get 
all my flies for free because I work for Orvis, you know, I can get, I can get flies. And I, I still tie every single fly in my box and I still love fly tying. I still tie every day. I teach fly tying online, you know, once a week oh, yeah. and I still love it. I still, and there isn't a fly in my, you know, I've got probably 30 fly boxes, of various <laughs> types from salmon to, to, to tarpon. And every fly in there is one that I tied myself. What's uh, what's the over under Tom on the amount of tangles you've untangled in your lifetime of fly fishing? <laughs> oh boy, I it's, you know it's got to be it's got to be a dozen times every time I go fishing. So you know, multiply that by hundreds of days per year, and and probably close to you know close to sixty years of fly fishing there's a lot of freaking tangles in there well that makes certainly makes me feel much better right? <laughs> <laughs> it's part of the game you know I, yeah. there's some days i think why the hell do we do this stuff <laughs> <laughs> you know wh- why am i doing this i'm just I've spent all my time on tangling Especially when you're fishing droppers, you know? it's, yeah. it's the it's yeah. the most beautiful, frustrating thing you can do. <laughs> yeah. It is. I think that's maybe that's one of the similarities people have for like why is fly fishing is real close to golf in that respect. <laughs> of it's you know it's it's a cool, it's a fun, it's a good sport, but it can be so frustrating. You know, yeah. over little yeah. little bitty yeah. things make, make it can be differences. Um, of all the fishing, like. Obviously, I think you sort of answered this already, but why fly fishing as this career for you? That's all I knew how to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, mean, I graduated from from college with an undergraduate in uh, forest biology from the uh, State University of New York Forestry School, and I I kind of tried to uh, concentrate in fisheries and aquatic entomology, figuring I might be a fish biologist someday, but I really I didn't have any other skills and <laughs> there wasn't much I could do. So I, you know, it's, it's nice to, nice to work in your passion. I, 1976, I took a job as a clerk in the Orvis retail store in Manchester, Vermont. It was the only Orvis retail store at the time and uh, just kind of went from there and never left. Hmm. Man. So Orvis has taken you a lot of places. Um, yeah. What's your What's your What's your favorite? You know, I know that's got to be really, really difficult to, to know. That's like naming it, your favorite it is, child. It is tough. <laughs> it's a question I don't like to answer because I have so many favorites, and it's often the place I'm in right now. I mean, there's mm-hmm. little tiny streams in Vermont. Uh, you got one in your backyard? Did I read yeah, that? I got one in my backyard that, you know, that I feel is my favorite when it's fishing well. And then I'll go to the Bahamas and sight fish for bonefish and think, oh, my God, this is heaven. And then I'll, you know, go to Montana or Wyoming or Idaho and say, geez, this is the best. Uh, so it, it, you know, and I'll be fishing carp in a local river and think man there's nothing better than this so it's really hard it's really hard to to pick a favorite that's a good problem to have yeah i mean every place has its own pleasures and its own idiosyncrasies you know and so there are lots of them you know there's something about fishing 
your your local water and and pulling out a a good trophy or a bat or whatever a trout bath whatever yeah from from your local waters and um you know there's a there's a big push for in alabama right now um a lot of these guys are doing some really good work in red eye bass mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah yeah they kind of call that the alabama brook trout and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, they they hit just like a brook trout they 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 are they live in beautiful places like brook trout do and, yeah it's a native species mm-hmm. yep. yeah so much fun to catch a lot yeah. of fun to catch yeah they're fighting i mean i had i had one of my most satisfying years and uh in 2020 where i couldn't go anywhere you know i mean could could really wasn't supposed to leave the state and god i i explored a lot of local waters for trout bass carp pike um hmm. i was close to home didn't have to get on an airplane it, it was a really nice year that's been that's been a sort of a topic of conversation uh here lately is it seems like now life is sort of getting back to like real time. Yeah. You know, like things have opened yeah. back up and we're doing more and it feels like, man, life is going really fast. Mm-hmm. You're in 2020. Like, like you said, I didn't go anywhere. And so it really made me focus on, on what's around my house. What's in my, yeah. home. you know, for me and my family and my kids, it was our, just our backyard for a lot of the, mm-hmm. a lot of the summer, which, Obviously, we're in the midst of spring here. It was the best spring down here that I can remember, as far as the weather is concerned. And it was a, it was yeah. a gift, yeah, because we spent so much time outside. Because mm-hmm. usually it gets really, really, you know, unbearably hot in uh, in Mobile and humid um, pretty quickly, and you don't want to spend a whole lot of time outside because it's fairly miserable. Yeah, so we had an incredible spring, and that year as difficult as it was and as awful of the thing that caused it, the byproduct was a real appreciation for, you know, our home right around yeah. what yeah. our natural waters, what's right, what's within walking distance or a bike ride, mm-hmm. not even, not even a car ride, you know? So that's, yeah. that's pretty cool to hear uh, that love for your home waters. Uh, and there's, it's amazing how much there is to explore if you start to look right. There is, you know, there's the, there's even no matter where you live, there are places you can fly fish close to home. Um, you know, people in LA fish the LA river for carp, um, sunfish and bass. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, you, you can find it. You can find some interesting stuff close to home. That's right. That's, uh, we recently, I wrote about, and we talked about, and I live in mobile and I work down in mobile and there's a, what looks like a ditch, right next to my office and it's it's called bolton branch but it looks like a ditch you know it's concrete and there's Mm -hmm. junk in it and it's you know it's a mess and um but there are fish in there and um and so i'll walk over there i keep my fly rod in my jeep and i'll walk Mm -hmm. over there with my little four weight and just tear up brim brim and and bass in there Uh and it's right outside of my office it's you know their shelter or their you know the bass structure is usually like a tire or (laughs) shopping cart shopping shopping cart cart. (laughs) (laughs) but man it's so awesome and i know people are driving by going what's that guy doing down there waving that fishing rod yeah yeah but it's amazing what's what's there if you just stop for a second and and look yep and uh that's a lot of fun um, I'm sure you spent a fair amount of one thing that's interesting to me fishing and fly fishing in particular um, 
is tied to story. And and I know when we exchanged our emails, you you talked about like there's not a, like a you don't you don't feel very reflective or anything like that. But I'm sure <laughs> there's stories to be told. And there's always the joke, you know, as you're telling a fish story, the fish gets bigger and bigger as you tell stories. And so fishing is tied to story. Yeah. And, uh, we love hearing, uh, we love hearing stories. I, you know, as a people, as a humanity, we love, we love story. And, uh, particularly for Brian and I is sitting around the fire telling stories, right? That's where the stories are the best. I think maybe is around the fire. Mm-hmm. We, sort of cons- we sort of consider the podcast sort of a, a digital opportunity to sit around the fire with people that we really want to chat with and hear stories from. So, Tom, if you're sitting around the fire, what's one of your favorite fishing stories to tell? <laughs> God, <laughs> I'd have to think about that. Well, it's usually shared with someone who who was in on the experience you know it's remember when we were in such and such a place uh, god man the company makes it sweeter you know yeah yeah so you want me to tell a story huh yeah just a, a memorable a memorable fun maybe it was funny maybe it was you know it could be anything just well, there's just a good old classic fishing story. Yeah, there's one story that keeps coming back to me. It was many years ago uh, when the uh, uh, IFTD, the uh, fly fishing trade show, was in Denver, and we would always fish. You know, the group of us that worked at Orvis is a bunch of sickos like me that um, that I work with, which is which is wonderful. And we flew out to Denver. We we're going to fish. We landed in Denver. It was like 70 degrees and sunny. And we went up into the front range and stayed at a cabin that a friend of ours owned and woke up the next morning and there was snow on the ground, like four or five inches of snow. It had temperature had dropped 50 degrees. And the guys, the local guys, a couple of guides that were friends of ours, arrived at the cabin with their eyes as big as saucers saying, do you know what today is going to be like? Because when you get a day like this with snow and cold, all of a sudden the fish in itself absolutely crazy. Every fish in there will be feeding on top. So we walked into Cheeseman Canyon, which is, you know, kind of a steep walk down into a canyon. And it snowed another six inches and uh, we weren't prepared for it. You know, we had no cold weather clothing um, and, and every fish in the river, they were right. Every fish in the river was rising. And this is a typically a very difficult stretch of water and the fish were stupid. No, nobody was there. It's usually very, it's usually very crowded. Nobody was there because people couldn't get out of Denver with the snow and we kept trying to hike out of the canyon and we'd get up on a bluff and we'd look down and we'd see fish rising and we'd climb back down. <laughs> and you know, two of the guys ended up with frostbite, which I think they're still suffering from. We had to build oh fires to stay warm. Uh, it was it was miserable and it was wonderful at the same time. So I love yeah. that. 
Yeah, yeah, one more cast, just one more cast. Yeah, one more cast. <laughs> it took us hours. You know, we it took us hours to get. I mean, I don't think we got out of there till after dark, and we were just so freaking cold oh and my wet. Gosh. That's you know, it's, yeah, that's the fly fisherman's refrain, isn't it? One more yeah. cast. Yeah, yeah one, one more cast. cast. <laughs> one more cast. Uh, Tom, just to kind of tell you a little bit about our our background and the way this podcast started. Brad mm-hmm. and I were headed up to uh, fish in Blue Ridge, Georgia, and um, on the way, Brad chose a uh, an audio book by John Gerach, mm-hmm. and and you know some of his essays that he wrote, and yeah. we listened to that. And on the way back, it, it inspired us so much to say, you know what, mm-hmm. we've got some stories to tell too. What mm-hmm. if we started telling these stories on a podcast and and heard the untold stories of other people other guests and um yeah i know that you and john are 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 friends acquaintances Mm -hmm. and uh, you know it i just it's so it was so fascinating to hear his stories and the way he told them and the way he approached writing and you uh, you know you're a prolific writer um do you ever see yourself writing something similar uh less instructional and more mentor i mean um memoir-esque no (laughs) no i you know i i i don't for a number of reasons i think back and i think well my life hasn't been that interesting really i don't think i could i don't think I could fill a book. I have done a couple of uh, coffee table books with essays in them. One was called Salt mm-hmm. with uh, photographer Andy Anderson, uh, where I wrote essays. And then I just finished one that just got published, uh, just hit the shelves this week, called Trout with uh, Brian Grossenbacher, who's a, a brilliant uh fishing photographer he does a lot of work for orvis catalogs and things like that oh. and and really enjoyed it but um you know it's not something that comes easily to me and yeah I, I, you know I, and, and honestly um books of of essays unless you're john gira don't sell that well yeah yeah <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I the, the writer has to be really good. There's a lot of people who have written memoirs about fly fishing that I think are pretty hokey, and I would never read them. I, I don't really, I don't really want to. I mean, John tells a really good story, but most people they want to tell about their why they love fly fishing and how they get started. And I don't need to read that. <laughs> it's boring. He's, he seems really funny. Like the way he, you know, way he says things, it, yeah. it, it makes me chuckle many times. I've read through his essay. Yeah. Before. Yeah. Dude, he seems like a funny dude. He's a great storyteller. And you, know, you, you gotta be really good to, to pull off the fly fishing essay game, you know, him, Tom McGuane, uh, Jim Babb, Ted Leeson, those guys are those guys are really really good, but it's rare. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're right. You've been in the fly fishing world for a long time. Uh, I feel like just just looking at it, uh, and a lot of the there's a lot of younger guys getting in it. There's a lot of um, 
popularity kind of resurgence almost mm-hmm. in fly fishing. Yeah. yeah. Have, do you feel like you're, the fly fishing world is, is headed in the right direction or do you think that there's some, what, how, how do you feel about the future of it? I, I feel really good. Be, uh, you know, when I first started fly fishing, it was the province of rich old white men and um, it was snobby and you know, you thought you were special because you were a fly fisher and uh, it wasn't always comfortable. And now uh, with young people getting into it and, and, you know, people of different colors and, and women uh, doing it, it's just, it's just so much more diverse and so much more interesting. The young people in fly fishing are the greatest because man, they're just, coming up with all kinds of cool new things to do. Hmm. And um, I, I just think it's it's the best time to be in fly fishing right now. It's so much better than it was. And people complain, mainly old white guys, complain about overcrowding. But, you know, we, we have vast resources in this country. The only place there's overcrowding is where... Um, people want to want to sit in a drift boat and uh, float down a river that's just chock full of trout. Uh, those are the places that are crowded. But you, you know, we, you guys have discussed fishing close to home, and and you know, people don't like to walk these days. And there's so many places, and people that talk about overcrowding are just lazy. <laughs> they are. They're just there's, they're just lazy. There's a lot of rivers around. There's a lot of rivers. There's a lot of different species. Doesn't have to be, uh, you know, fishing a popular trout stream, sitting in a drift boat. Um, there's, I mean, you can go to Yellowstone Park, which has fabulous fishing. And because, because um, there aren't many guides that guide there, and no drift boats are allowed. Um, you know, it's hardly any anglers except right next to the road. Yeah, there you go. If you do a little work, you can get pretty solitary. You can, you can, no matter where you are. Yep. Yeah, there. I think it, I used to think, well, if you're fly fishing, you're just gonna, you're just going after trout. Yeah, people, boy. People say that to me all the time. They, they do. I, they say it to me too. They're like, you, you're, you're fishing for trout in Alabama. I was like, well, there's a couple of places you can do that, but you don't have to just fish for trout. You can yeah. go after pretty much any species you know, with a fly rod. Yeah. And, uh, that's what makes it so fun. It's like, all right, how can I, how can I catch a certain species with a fly rod? What's the approach, you know? And it's, that's what makes it so much fun to me is like, there's all kinds of fish that you can catch on a fly rod. Mm-hmm. There are, I have a friend uh, from Northern Vermont who fishes Lake Champlain a lot. And it's a, it's a large freshwater lake and it's got everything in it from, from landlocked salmon to, tench and drum and bowfin and he's i don't know how many species he's caught but he goes after these you know you just sent me a picture this morning of a drum a freshwater drum that he caught on a fly rod they're really tough they're like catching one of those like catching a permit in salt water Mm. and and he just he just goes all over the place and catches these weird species (laughs) and he loves it we were, uh, Brian and I were fishing on this little river in Alabama called the Tallapoosa, 
and it flows in the northern part of Lake Martin, which is a big vacation spot in the central Alabama. And uh, we had stopped at this this hole where the river sort of drops down, and uh, we were pulling across this hole, and I watched Brian's rod turn into a shepherd's hook, and I thought, mm-hmm. man, we we have we have tied up with a striper, mm-hmm. and uh and it just dove and it didn't run around, and then finally it comes up, and Brian pulls out this massive catfish that <laughs> mm-hmm. come up. Yeah, <laughs> it was like of the things that I thought we would pull out of this river with a fly rod, that was certainly not one of them. That was awesome. Yeah, the the yeah. guide had just finished saying, "You never know what you're gonna catch right here," and that in a million years I wouldn't have thought a catfish. <laughs> it was amazing. Tom, amazing. is there a uh, you know what's the white whale for you? What is what is the fish that you want to catch, or if you haven't caught it already? Um, you know, I'd like to catch a sail. I've never caught a sailfish. I've had I've had shots at sailfish. Um, wow, I I've never. I've never caught one, and I would like to do that sometime. Yeah. What was a, there's a there's a picture of you in the water with a massive tarpon um, that I saw. What was that's something I've never experienced. Never even seen a tarpon that big. What what was that experience like when that thing took your fly? Oh, it, you know, it wasn't it. It wasn't that big of a tarpon. I mean, I'm not that big of a guy. It was maybe a hundred pounds, which for a tarpon is, you know, kind of yeah. average. Um, just just a hundred hundred pounds. Yeah, well, <laughs> no, it's, 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 there's it's lots of bigger than ones. My eight year old. <laughs> yeah, there's lots of bigger ones. Um, yeah, I was fishing with a couple of buddies in Tampa Bay, and uh, that I that I fish with as often as I can. They're they're uh, just a lot of fun, and um, we were fishing a place that a lot of tarpon were running through and hooked it and and uh you know played it for quite a while maybe 20 minutes 25 minutes and uh i i always wanted a picture of myself in the water with a tarpon because you're not supposed to lift them out of the water right um, in florida and so the guide said yeah you could you could jump in here it's you know it's shallow enough and so I jumped overboard, and he at the he realized that I was a little shorter than he was, and I went under, totally under, and there I am treading water, holding onto a tarpon, <laughs> totally uh, soaked. <laughs> there, there goes your tip, man. <laughs> no, he wasn't a he wasn't a guide. He was just a friend. Oh, that's funny. Oh, you know, I finally caught one tarpon, and it was on a. It was on a spinning reel, and you know they run. When you hook them, man, they run for forever. I can't yeah, imagine yeah. that seeing that spool on a fly rod just running and running and running. Yeah, uh, man, that's awesome. I love yeah. that. You said you said something earlier about like the young people and coming up with all this cool stuff within mm-hmm. fly fishing. What? Yeah. You, if there if there is one thing that you can put your finger on and say this has been one of the catalysts that has catapulted fly fishing more into sort of the public sphere is there one thing or is it a a, a myriad of things that have sort of catapulted uh, you know fly fishing more into people's minds eye well i think it's a lot of things one is this this euro nymphing game which um mm-hmm. which started out as a competition technique and um you know i don't i don't care for fishing competitions at all i don't enter contests and I'm, i don't count fish and 
But um, there are so many cool aspects of that. And I don't even like Euronymphing that much because, you know, the casting is kind of clunky, but it's deadly effective. And I have learned a lot of things that design of flies and, and using a longer, lighter tippet. I've, I've learned a lot of things that I've applied to my kind of standard nymph fishing that I've learned from these, these competition people. Um, and I think a lot of us have, and, you know, the, the whole saltwater game has, um, has, been eye-opening uh, lots of things happening in salt water that uh, that you know we didn't think about before it's just uh, i think for me i think one of the things and maybe you can confirm this but with a company as big as yeti and the yeti films that they do mm-hmm. like a lot of people have seen those that wouldn't ordinarily be exposed to fly fishing. So that's yeah. been one of the things. And just the fly fishing film tour in general yeah, has been something that I think has been a tool that has really opened people's eyes up to, wait, like you said, this is not an old white guy, rich white guy sport. Like, I can do yeah. this too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like... And you know... Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was going to say, like, the... Um, the, the, the those films that you're talking about brad that's kind of like the field and stream magazine to me yeah you know yeah. kind of seeing myself in that stream people are seeing these videos uh mm-hmm. and putting themselves in there yeah yeah and that and that i'm sure that's part of the reason that we have so many young people in in fly fishing now is because they've seen other young people in these videos having a lot of fun mm-hmm. and yeah, saying wow cool. that yeah, that looks cool. I, I want to do that. And so, yeah. And, you know, people see uh, women, see other women doing it. People of color see people of color uh, uh, doing it. And they say, I can do that too. Yeah. And, look, yeah. and it looks like fun. Man, I mean, I have, uh, you know, you said you teach these classes on, on fly time. I mean, I've certainly this year, uh, I have not gotten into it until this year, got some tools and sort of learning how to tie some of my, you know, my favorite and most used patterns. That way I can, I can make the things that I use the most and things mm-hmm. that I like the most. Yeah. But like YouTube has been like the teacher, right? Oh I yeah. Learn, oh, I mean, I've unbelievable. Tons of, and that's like Brian said earlier, I'm so thankful for the way you share Cause there's tons of, you guys have done tons of videos through Orvis. Like, um, just recently we, we, I was watching them cause there was nothing I really wanted to watch. I was like, me and my son were watching like how to read water, you know, mm-hmm. doing the, the video on how to read water. There's so many of those video instructionals that are so much more helpful than say the book that you started out with when you were a kid. Yeah. Like being able to watch YouTube and go, Oh, that's how I did it. And then I can pause it. And like you said, we were talking earlier about the whip, the whip finish. I'm like, Oh man, it's, it's something I challenge uh, that's challenged me, but thankfully I can hit pause and, do that again mm-hmm. <laughs> oh do it again i need to see that again but man what a great tool that's been i think another probably another um, part of that growth of fly fishing is is like they're free teachers on youtube which well, you can learn how to do pretty much anything i think on youtube yeah i learned how to replace the belt on my jeep you know <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure somebody's done a video on it you know so i always look there at least yeah yeah somebody's done a video on how to do almost anything on youtube just about it yeah, it may not be helpful, but at least they tried. Yeah. <laughs> Tom, one go thing. Ahead. Oh, go ahead, Ben. Yeah, I was you we talked about you've been with Orvis for, you know, for all these years. What has 
working for Orvis meant to you? Oh, it's been everything, you know, it's, it's, it's allowed me to go places that I, you know, that a poor kid from Rochester, New York would never have been able to go to. It's, it's, um, it's, it's allowed me to see the, the cutting edge of, uh, you know, the equipment development and be involved in that. And, um, you know, it's just, I mean, all my, my best fishing buddies, most of my best fishing buddies are people that I work with. Um, we hunt and fish together and, and travel together. And, uh, you know, it's just been, it's been everything. Mm, that's awesome. Is there one thing about, um, you know, Orvis as a company that you think this is what makes this company the reason I love working for it? Is there a, like a, maybe a, you know, maybe there's a, an atmosphere or an ethos of Orvis as a company that you really love? Yeah, it's a family, it's family owned, privately owned, family owned. And it is, it is a true family. People are, people are, are caring and thoughtful and respectful of other people and we share a common passion mm-hmm. and so it's yeah it's uh, it's just, it's really obviously a good place to work i've been there 45 years um and have, yeah, have only thought have only thought about leaving a dozen times you know <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good over 45 years yeah that's not bad at all it's not bad <laughs> Tom, one thing that we like to ask our guests as uh, the last question that we ask is, what's your next adventure? Uh, I'm going to Belize on Sunday. Oh, man. Are you, are, you, are you chasing after bonefish or permit? What are you, what are you trying to catch? Well, um, I, I'm hosting a group. I, I had uh, hosted a, a trip to Cuba a number of years ago, and, uh, and it was a great group of of guys, it's all guys. And we've since done a, a number of hosted trips together and the group is kind of uh, expanded with brothers and friends and sons. And um, so uh, we're, we're ch- it's mainly the place we're going to, it's, uh, it's called um, Tarpon Key and it's mainly a permit and tarpon destination. Wow. And honest, honestly, it has a lot of uh, smaller tarpon, you know, up to 60, 80 pounds, um, which are, you know, what they call baby tarpon, juveniles. Um, permit, I, I don't obsess over permit like a lot of people do. They're very difficult to catch. Uh, Steve Huff calls them a dishonest fish because <laughs> you can do everything right and they'll spin around the fly and swim away. Um, so I, I I'm going to concentrate on tarpon, but you know, I'll, I'll throw it a permit. I'm, I'm sure I'll, I'll try, but, uh, now you, you mentioned sons go, um, do, do you have sons? Well, will, will, will this, will your son go with you? No, no. My 17 year old, uh, doesn't fish. Okay. They're, they're, uh, uh, very outdoorsy, very nature oriented, uh, is is outside all the time, but they don't, they don't care for, care for fishing at all. So, uh, yeah. It's finding his own way. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's cool. Way. That's good. 
Well, this has been, uh, man, this has been a, a great conversation, uh, Tom. I really appreciate you carving out some time to, to join us and to share. A lot of the guys that do listen to this podcast are, are Alabama fly fishermen, and uh, we're just <clears throat> doing our part to sort of grow this community down here, and we thought it'd be great to hear from you, and you can be able to speak into, you know, some of the things that you shared. I'm really grateful for those uh, things that you shared. I know you said you've, you've shared those on other podcasts, but this has exposed you to guys that may not listen to those things and, and part of our community as we try to grow and uh, tell stories and to share uh, share adventures man so thank yeah, you yeah it's so great it's so great to hear that you have a community of fly fishers in alabama you know yeah i mean a place with literally no trout or i guess you have a few places but there's a couple of spots where they stock them but they're not natural yeah they're, they're not natural yeah. but you know it, it's great that people are discovering that you can use a fly rod in places where there aren't many trout and uh that's really cool well pulling a pop pulling a popping bug and seeing a red-eye bass explode on it is pretty fun it it is it is if, if you're ever in alabama we we could uh we could put you on some red-eye bass okay <laughs> I, I don't i don't know if i've ever caught one so i don't think i have so it would they're, be they're uh, it would a lot be of fun so much fun well we've enjoyed this uh this so much and we uh, we hope you know like hold on for starters i think we've been mispronouncing john's last name so he's been such an inspiration to us how do we say his name correctly that's something i want to make sure i get girak i believe girak yeah i feel like i was like i want to make sure like we're saying it right because uh, he he certainly his stories certainly inspired this podcast and these conversations and um, this season, as we finish up the the spring season that just is closing up, will be episode fifty for us. So we're really new to the game, but recording now, this will be for the fall for our fall season as we take a break over the summer. But these stories have have been all over the place. We don't talk about just fly fishing; we talk about it a good bit because it's a passion of both Brian and I. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But we talk about all kinds of other things. But this has been a, a big part of our conversation because we love fly fishing. So thank you for joining us. And uh, we hope this inspires some people to go, maybe I can fly fish, you know? Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. And to see the sport grow and and see all kinds of people uh, take part in what we love about uh, fly fishing and learn from it and enjoy it. And, you know, they'll probably be untangling some knots just like me. (laughs) Yeah, uh, you never outgrow that. (laughs) Well, that's That's good good to hear. hear. That's good to hear. but we hope these uh, conversations uh, just encourage people and challenge people and uh, really to not just uh, go fishing, but to write their stories down, to share their adventures in the place that we love to call the storied outdoors. Oh, that's great. I love hearing that. Brad Hill here. There is no better way to share a story than around a campfire. And if you are in the Mobile Bay area, there is no better place to get firewood than our friends at Mobile Bay Firewood. This is a family-owned business, and I personally love using their easy-to-light, kiln-dried firewood in my fire pit. So use promo code MBFTSO for $15 off of your next order at mobilebayfirewood.com. Longtime friends of the podcast, the Growley Leather Company is a family-owned leather goods company in southern Alabama. 
All of their leather goods are designed and handcrafted to come alongside you in your daily life, share in your adventures, and reflect your character. Brian and I both enjoy products from Growly Leather. So visit GrowlyLeather.com and use promo code TSO2022 for a 15% discount at checkout. Find you a leather journal and fill it with stories from the storied outdoors.